Well, Ephesians chapter 2 is where we're going to read from now. Ephesians chapter 2, very famous verses. Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to read verses 1 to 10. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages He might show the incomparable riches of His grace, expressed in His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Amen. Well, he, he walks out of the restaurant uh, and he is feeling full and content. And then as he, he wanders towards his car parked on the side of the street, he sees that there's someone standing next to it. Uh, and it's a young man. And then he notices there are some keys in his hands. And as he gets closer, he realizes this young man has just keyed his car. There are some very long scratches all along the side of the car, and there are even some flecks of paint on the ground. And as he approaches, the young man uh, just stands there. He doesn't run away. And then he begins to apologize profusely. I'm so sorry, he says. I'm so sorry. Well, how should the man respond? His blood is, is pumping in his head. There's this deep sense of anger and injustice welling up inside him. What, what should he do? Well, he could, he could choose justice. He could make sure that this young man pays for what he's done. I mean, at the very least, he could pay to have the damage repaired, couldn't he? Maybe also file a re police, police report, teach this guy a lesson, have him charged for vandalism. It's what he deserves. We all know it. We all have this built-in sense of right and wrong. A desire for justice. We know that crimes deserve punishment, don't they? We know that evil can't go unchecked. But justice isn't the only option. As the man stares at his damaged car and at this young man who's helpless, he considers another response. Mercy. Mercy would be to say, don't worry about it. 
you're free to go. Mercy doesn't quite feel right, does it? It's unnatural. It's almost foolish. It's too generous. But mercy isn't half as shocking as grace. That's the third option, grace. What would that look like? Grace says to the young man, hey, here are my keys. The car's yours. Uh, it's a gift from me to you. I'll put the title in your name. And also, let me just let me fill up the tank before you go. And, and if you want to go and get those scratches fixed, I, I, just send me the bill and I'll, I'll fix it up. I'll be glad to pay for it. That's grace. Justice is getting what we deserve. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. Grace is getting what we don't deserve. Grace is shocking. Grace leaves you feeling stunned. Uh, Kevin Harney tells that story in his book, Organic Outreach for Ordinary People. It's a simple story, but I found it to be quite powerful. It just gives us a tiny glimpse of the staggering grace that God has shown to us, which is what we're going to be thinking about this afternoon. We're continuing in our sermon series uh, called Living Theology. We're asking the question, what's God really like? And over the last few weeks, we've seen that God is limitless. God is all-powerful. God is all-knowing. God is utterly holy. And now, today, we're going to see that God is merciful and gracious. This is our last sermon on that question, what's God really like? Uh, We're going to jump around various Bible passages today as we think about what it means for Him to be merciful and gracious. And I hope that as we do that, we will be amazed at the grace of God. Uh, if, you, if you're not a Christian here tonight, if you're still sort of just learning about this God of the Bible, I'm actually very excited for you because you're in for a treat. I suspect that you'll leave here tonight with a grin on your face because it's, it's, it's really good news. But if you've been in church for a while, then like me, you may have sung more than once the words of amazing grace without feeling any sense of amazement at all. That's sad, isn't it? I feel sad when I see myself do that. We don't ever want to grow tired of God's grace. So I want to invite you right now to switch on, to gear up, to to say right now in your head a silent prayer, Lord, please let your grace stir my heart again. Let's get into it. We have got four points tonight. They all start with E. Isn't that lovely? Our first point is this. The essence of God's grace. The essence of God's grace. In Exodus 34, God describes himself to Moses with these famous words. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God. Slow to anger. Abounding in love and faithfulness. Maintaining love to thousands. Forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. This is God describing who He is. It's not how God feels on a good day. It's not how He sometimes acts. It's not who He's aspiring to become. At His core, at His essence, God is merciful and gracious. 
Uh, over the past few months, Sean and I have lain in bed many a night, and we've spoken about how, once again, our little toddler has humbled us. Uh, it is amazing how a two-year-old can expose your heart. He is a master of pushing just the right buttons for me to reveal my internal programming. And I'm ashamed to admit that, that when you prick me and I react and you see my true colors, grace is not my default. <laughs> By nature, I tend to meditate on how people have wronged me and how I'm right. I tend to defend myself and judge others. I don't have to try to feel offended or angry. It comes naturally to me. I'm good at that. Which is what makes God so amazing. He doesn't just manage to suppress his anger and squeeze out a little bit more patience with these kids who are driving him crazy. No, grace comes naturally to him. It flows from him. Why? Because it's who he is. We read Ephesians 2 just before. Did you notice verse 4? It talks about God who is rich in mercy. Uh, in his beautiful book, Gentle and Lowly, Dane Ortland says, God is a billionaire in the currency of mercy. And the withdrawals we make as we sin our way through life cause his fortune to grow greater, not less. What does it mean for God to be merciful? It means He's compassionate. It means that when He sees our sin and our suffering in our pitiable condition, He cares deeply. Our mess doesn't push Him away, it draws Him closer. Justice is when we get what we deserve. Mercy is when we don't get what we deserve. Grace goes even further. Grace is when God showers us with blessings that we don't deserve. Why? Because His essence, His, His very heart, His being is profoundly kind, generous, loving. These things are rare commodities in our world, aren't they? We can't quite believe what we're seeing when a car-keying vandal is, is just given a car, a gift he never deserved. That just doesn't happen. But, but God's not surprised. That's His natural way of doing things. And I don't know about you, but I need to be reminded of that every single day because it is so counterintuitive. It's not who I expect God to be. I expect Him to be a stickler for the rules, uh, to constantly be disappointed with me, running short of patience with me. But the theme song of the Bible is quite the opposite. Our God is a merciful and compassionate God slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness. That's our first point, the essence of God's grace. It's who He is. Now second, let's think about the expression of God's grace. The expression of God's grace. We've just said that God's grace is almost too good to believe. Perhaps we wonder if it's all talk and no substance. Perhaps we wonder what it would look like in practice. But we don't have to wonder, do we? Because grace isn't just a thing. Grace is a person. John 1 verse 14, The Word became 
flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus shows us what it looks like to be full of grace. Touching lepers that no one would go near. Taking the time to hold dribbling babies. Patiently teaching people who took years to get it. Eating dinner with homeless people and strippers and white-collar criminals. God's grace isn't abstract. It has a face. It's the face of Jesus and it reflects the very likeness of God. That's, that's really important. The person of Jesus shows us God himself. We, we should never read stories of Jesus in the Bible and think, yeah, no, what a nice guy. No, Jesus came to make his Father known, John 1. He is the image of the invisible God, Colossians 1. He's the exact representation of his being, Hebrews 1. It's not as if Jesus shows his grace to us in some impersonal way, like you're watching it on a movie screen. Jesus is God's grace to us. He, he's the channel through which God's grace and mercy is pumped into our lives. Ephesians 1, chapter before, says, The Father has freely given us His glorious grace in the one He loves. In Him we have redemption. Through His blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that He's lavished on us. It's all through Jesus. Uh, so, so I want to give a warning here. Please don't think that God is just forgiving and gracious in a vague, general sense. His grace just sort of floating in the air. It's not enough to just be a pretty good person and to meditate sometimes and get in touch with your spiritual side. God's grace is specifically expressed in His Son, Jesus. And you need to put your faith in Jesus or you cannot be saved. Only in Jesus is justice done as He bears our guilt, our debt on the cross. Only in Jesus does God's mercy flow to us as we're completely forgiven. Only in Jesus does God's grace flow to us as, as all the blessings and victories of Christ become ours. So, we've seen that God is grace. It's His essence. We've also seen that God's grace comes to us in Jesus. He, he's the expression of God's grace. Now, third, we want to consider the extent of God's grace. The extent of God's grace. How far does it reach? I don't think it's possible to overstate this. God's grace and mercy is the source of every single good thing we enjoy now and forever. Every person alive today, not just Christians, are constantly experiencing God's mercy and grace. 
Uh, Psalm 145 verse 9 says, The Lord is good to all, and His mercy is over all that He made. In Luke 6, uh, Jesus calls us to be merciful as our Father in heaven is merciful. He is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Theologians sometimes call this common grace. Because we all sin, we all deserve to die. Yesterday, really. None of us have any right to be breathing right now. But God is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. He's a bit like a waiter serving up delicious food and drinks to people. Even as they are loudly gossiping in front of the waiter about how much they hate him and his food. Why does God shower good things like, like sunshine and beer and friendship and music on his enemies? He does it to reveal his astounding grace and to give people a chance to turn back to him. Uh, we see this in Acts 14. Uh, Paul is urging the, the unbelievers in Lystra to, to turn to God. And he says... God has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. That's common grace. But there's more. To some, to the elect, to those who God chooses for no reason other than his mysterious and free will, he gives not only common grace, but saving grace. That's the grace we receive in Jesus. And it is amazing grace for so many reasons. Uh, for one thing, it's amazing because of who it is given to. Remember we read Ephesians 2, verse 1. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Dead. If you'll allow me, I'll read a slightly longer quote from Dane Ortland. I can't write this better than he does. Christ was not sent to mend wounded people, or wake sleepy people, or advise confused people, or inspire bored people, or spur on lazy people, or educate ignorant people, but to raise dead Paul is not speaking of sin in the way we often do. I messed up. I made a mistake. I'm struggling with... Our sins are less like an otherwise healthy man occasionally tripping up and more like a man who is disease-ridden from head to foot. Sin was not something we lapsed into. It defined our moment-by-moment -moment existence at the level of deed, word, thought, and yes, even desire. We not only lived in sin, we enjoyed living in sin. We wanted to live in sin. It was our coddled treasure, our golem's ring, our settled delight. Ortland concludes, in short, we were dead, utterly helpless. It's true, isn't it? God's grace is amazing because of who it's given to. But it's also amazing because of what we receive. 
We were dead, but Ephesians 2 verse 5 says that God has made us alive with Christ. In Christ, we're completely forgiven. His righteousness becomes ours. His resurrection becomes ours. We're adopted into God's family. We're given a new nature so that we, we want to love God. What do we have to do to receive that? Ephesians 2 verse 8, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works that no one can boast. Everything, even our faith, is a free gift from God. That's the definition of grace. It's free and undeserved. That brings us to our fourth and final point. We've looked at the essence of God's grace. We've looked at the expression of God's grace. We've looked at the extent of God's grace. Let's finish by considering the effects of God's grace. What effect does God's grace have in our lives? Uh, the short answer is it changes everything. Now, for starters, it, it amazes us. Amazing grace. It makes us burst out in praise. The letter of Ephesians starts with this joyful cry, Praise to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. Every spiritual blessing in Christ. Like, like a criminal who receives a hug instead of punishment. Like a child who receives a treat instead of time out. Like the cheating husband who's welcomed home to a cooked meal on the table. Grace is unsettling. And that's the point. God's grace gets our attention. And it makes us look up. And it makes us marvel at the kind of God who sits in heaven. But it doesn't just amaze us. It also changes us. Grace changes us. How could it not? How could grace like that not soften our hearts? Not, not humble us? Not make us want to follow and live for a God like that? This is why in Titus chapter 2, verse 11, Paul says, The grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. What's the result? This grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age. And then he goes on to add, Jesus is purifying a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. This is the effect of God's grace. It makes us eager to show grace and mercy, just like our Father does. And let me tell you, that does not come naturally. We live in a world that is in a state of constant rage and disagreement. A world where we love, but only until we're betrayed. A world where we're, we're kind, but only until someone expresses a view that offends us. A world where we help others until it starts to cost us significant time and money. 
And it's in that world that our God of grace calls us to be his people of grace. Not just to be honest, not just to be fair, not just to be kind, not just to be decent, but to be outrageously generous, remarkably patient, excessively forgiving. Listen to what Jen Wilkins says in her book, In His Image. She writes, Christians should not have a reputation for being merely fair. We should have a reputation for playing favorites with everyone except ourselves. Our lives should demonstrate that there is no such thing as scarcity when you're a child of God. That our Heavenly Father has given all that is needful and much more than we could ask or imagine. We should be recognized as peddlers in abundance. And if we lived like that, I think we would stand out. I think people would ask, who are these Christians? Who stand up for victims of domestic abuse? Who care for those with AIDS? Who strive to cure cancer? Who come alongside those with disabilities? Who fight for justice? Who advocate against racism? Who show compassion to indigenous Australians? Who visit the elderly in aged care homes? Who feed the homeless? Who work to create sustainable systems that prevent poverty and unemployment? Who care for the environment? Who look after drug addicts without judgment? Who write letters to those in prison? Who befriend refugees? Who foster and adopt children? Who mentor young people while they're struggling through school? Who are these Christians? What happened in their lives to make them like this? It's the effect that God's grace has on us. It, it amazes us. It transforms us. Lastly, it drives us to tell others about Jesus. Building relationships. Having spiritual conversations. Sitting down to read the Bible with someone. Not reluctantly, not robotically, but with, with the infectious joy of someone who's clearly experienced something amazing. Kevin Harney writes, Some followers of Jesus seem to be obsessed by the bad news of sin. They want to dwell on the penalty of sin and the reality of hell. Now, Kevin goes on to say, Those things are absolutely true and they can't be ignored. But he says, we must always remember that our primary message is not the bad news of hell, but the good news of God's grace offered in Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I think there's a lot of challenges in all of this. But we don't need to be discouraged because our Savior is patient and gentle and gracious. All you need to do is continue in grace, receiving it, reflecting it, celebrating it, and sharing it. I wonder, is, is God's grace 
the song that is stuck in your head as you lie in bed at night? Is His mercy the thing that gets you up in the morning and makes you smile? Like a dog who shakes water on everyone after swimming at the beach, we should swim and splash in the grace of God so often and with so much enthusiasm that onlookers around us are bound to get drenched. What's God really like? He is, he is ridiculously, eternally, amazingly gracious and merciful. Let's, let's praise Him for that now as we pray. Lord, we do praise you for your grace and your mercy. The essence of who you are and given to us, expressed in the person and the work of Jesus Christ, your Son, who died on the cross, taking all the punishment we deserved so that we can be completely forgiven and not just forgiven and then left to screw up again, but, but washed clean and made alive and filled with your Spirit, given a new nature, a new heart, a new longing to live for you. And Lord, we thank you that your grace is with us every day, that it strengthens us, that it empowers us, that it changes us. We pray that it would overflow in our lives and that people around us would see your grace in the way that we love and give and forgive. For anyone here this afternoon, Lord, who hasn't grasped what it means for you to be gracious, for anyone here who is still burdened by their sin, still thinking that they have to work to make you love them, still feeling like they don't measure up and they aren't sure if they will make it to heaven, Lord, would you break into their hearts and show them the glory of your grace, that it is all from you, that it's a gift and it's free and it's abundant. Lord, may they come to Jesus, may they bow before him and humbly in faith cry out to you for forgiveness. And Lord, we know with, with absolute confidence that you will give them grace and mercy and eternal life. And we praise and thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.